Hello, and welcome to Detours, a Glory Sports podcast where I, David Stahl, digital editor of Glory Sports, sit down with sports figures who have achieved excellence in their fields through bold, unconventional, strange, and novel practices. From athletes to community leaders, sports psychologists to coaches, media personalities to front office executives, I'll be inviting guests on the program to show listeners how they might learn to explore excellence by paving detours of their own. Today's episode features Olympian and world champion sprinter Jerome Blake. Jerome is unique to most athletes in that he maintains the ultra-competitive mindset on the track that you find with most elite athletes with this incredibly balanced, almost Taoist approach to life. Instead of surrendering to the factory farm system that track and field athletes are typically put through, the Nike runner instead let the sport come to him on his own terms. He joined late. He never had lofty ambitions of being an Olympian. He never imagined being rep by Nike. He never obsessed over beating the Americans on their home track at world championships. These successes simply came through a passion for perfecting a craft. Throughout our interview, you'll get insight into Jerome's approach to excellence both on and off the track, whether that means managing his ego through a blinding spotlight, a sense of self through being repped by major brands like Nike, or managing expectations after his Olympic debut. At just 27 years old, Jerome is truly one of the most mature and balanced individuals I've ever had the pleasure of speaking to. So I hope you too enjoy our conversation. Jerome Blake, world champion, Olympian, model, philanthropist, and so much more for the listeners. Again, I'll preface this episode with a more in-depth introduction, but from speaking to you last year, I know you are a humble guy, so I won't make you sit through that. But I will tell you that when we first thought of Detours as a podcast, your name was immediately one of the first to come to mind, and I'll tell you why. This podcast is all about helping people unlock new ideas and new ways of thinking on route to excellence and on the excellence front, I think a world championship gold and Olympic silver certainly qualifies you to speak on that. But of course, success never comes as easily as those who achieve it make it seem. So I want our conversation to start by looking at your journey before you found success. And I think throughout our conversation, people will come to understand all those individual choices that you made and all those detours that you took in order to get to where you are. But to start, can you talk a little bit about where your track origins began in Jamaica and, and how you first fell in love with the sport of sprinting? Yeah, for sure. So, I, I mean, I, I grew up in, um, you know, in a rural part of Jamaica. I grew up in Portland, you know, um, in a city called Buff Bay. So for me, like, I went to high school, um, uh, Buff Bay. High school so so basically it all started there like you know i wasn't the fastest i wasn't the best at most of the things that everybody else did so for me it was more or less trying try to find something that really works for me so that's where i found jumping like i was very good at long jump and high jump so i stuck with that for a very long time and you know for me it was more or less just i think everyone was doing track because that's what everybody knew it was either track or or football or you know or cricket or something but for me i just love track so much it's like every single day was always something like we either racing each other and like in the water or on the road or just you know something there's always something that involves a lot of running for us you growing up in the in the part of jamaica where i grew up so for me it was only natural to to chase that and you know growing up especially to like 
you know, watching some of the greats who are from Jamaica do it, you know, Usain Bolt, Asava Powell, and a whole bunch more, you know, plenty, plenty more people. So for us, it was more or less just try my best to be as good as I can. That's that's what it was always about, just, just to be as good as you can. So, yeah. And what were some of the initial, because you mentioned it, sprinting and running is such a core part of Jamaican culture. What were some of the approaches to coaching early on? Like, what was the energy surrounding it? Was it a high pressure atmosphere or was it laid back because it was, again, such a uh, sort of a natural coming of age um, experience for a lot of a lot of young athletes? Um, so, so initially, uh, there's two parts to it. So for me, like growing up in Jamaica, um, again, like I was in the fastest in my high school. So I got pushed off to the side to be, you know, something that you're good at, because if if, if like 13, 14, you're not running as fast as some of the other kids, like there's no point. Like there's mm-hmm. not going to waste really waste time on you, you know, in a sense where like they're going to let other, other kids do what they're good at. And then you go do what you're good at, which is I was going to jump in. So they say, go jump. If that's what you want to do, go jump. So I stuck to that. And then when I moved to Canada, I met my first coach in Kelowna and, um, you know, Pat. And then she really just told me like, you, you have a lot of talent and you could really go far, but I couldn't really see it for myself. I just wanted to just, okay, cool. We're going to run. Let's, let's run. Let's see what happened kind of thing. So that's kind of how I viewed it. And I, I think running is such a unique sport, uh, especially in that coaching and athlete dynamic, because it can be a lot more intimate in that sort of one-on-one dynamic. Of course, you do have training partners, you have teammates, but it's a lot different when you compare it to a 50 man or 52 man football team or a 15 man <laughs> NBA roster. So you become a lot more attuned to certain coaching styles or, or you sort of um, conflict with, with others a bit more over the years. When you talk about your first coach in Pat or, or your current coaches today, what coaching styles have you found that you mesh with best and, and what doesn't work for you? Um, you know, certain athletes like, you know, when their coach is very tough on them and he's, they're, they're hard on them and, you know, they, they like being, you know, yelled at some people, thrive in, the, in in those environments but for me like because you know when i was growing up my first coach in jamaica was my high school coach he, if you don't want to come you don't have to go because you know it's, it's up to you if you want to do it you don't have to do it kind of thing mm-hmm. so when i moved to canada it was more or less both my coaches before i moved to florida now with dennis mitchell they're both females they had that motherly vibe to them and you know they took me under their wings and it's always like hey you can be really good well, I'm not going to push you to as, as hard as you want, but I'm going to push you enough to make sure you get what you need. So kind of thing. So for me, it was more or less just, you know, and, and, and then again, like the thing is like, for me, I didn't really understood what they saw in me. Like for me, it was more or less, I'm just going to practice because I'm doing track. That's it. You know, there was no um, reasoning behind it. I never thought about being a professional. I never thought about going to the Olympics. Not even when people tell me like, oh yeah, you can make it to the Olympics. I said, oh, I don't know, maybe. Because at that point, I didn't even know how to qualify or like even know what to do. Really, mm. I didn't really know how to approach it. So for, for me, the, the only thing I wanted to do was just run fast, just train hard and run faster than I did before. That's, that's the only thing that was on my mind. And yeah. I was really wanting to run fast and then just, just I don't know, just, just hang out. Because I just, I love the sport. I'm a student of the sport. So, you know, for me, like at one point in my life, I could really tell you every single person, like, the top three sprinters, that when gold, bronze, gold, silver, and bronze from, I think it was from 2000, actually, no, from before that, from from the 96 Olympics all the way up to like the, the 2016 Olympics at one point. I, I, could, I could tell you everybody that one. We'll do a little bonus episode where we go rapid fire. You, you list them all off for us. But 
that that's wild to me that sort of balance between like you're such a student of the sport and you're passionate about it and yet you didn't have this sort of obsessive mindset of i have to get here or that's what it's sort of this go with the flow mentality of i'm gonna work hard and and whatever comes is is meant to come when it arrives and it, it kind of takes me back to this quote that you had i believe it was in eugene correct me if i'm wrong i think it was after the 200 meters you were eliminated but you did so exceptionally well i think you made it to the semi-final and yeah. said like look i exactly what you just said you said I didn't know that I was going to make it to the semifinal of my first world champs, like individually. This yeah. is this is a great accomplishment. We'll build on it. And you did also say that that was not the goal. The goal is to make it to the final. The goal is to medal. But yeah. hey, it's this is this is a moment to appreciate. I think with sprinting, it can be tough because it's tireless work and effort yeah. and training. And the output, if you do great, is around ten seconds, and then it's yeah. over. Yeah. Do you find that you have to embrace the journey when the destination again only lies that fleeting moment? Um, you, you know, there, there's there's such a there's a big stigma around you know sprinting and track and field itself. You know, you can't be too you can't talk too much about what you're going to do. You can't really say you're going to do something because everybody start hunting you for that kind of stuff. They they start they put a target on you the minute you say okay this is what I want to do. So everybody put a target on you and then everybody bring you down. You know, and then everybody try to just carry you down. Nobody try to lift you up. It's not an uplifting sport at all. Mm. It's a sport that way because it's so individual in the sense where it's so competitive down to the teeth. Like every everyone's so competitive. Even if even if you train with the person, like you want to see that person do well, but you're putting yourself over that person at every single step of the way. Mm. So for me, it was more or less just having fun with every single you know every single moment, and just like just take it one day at a time and really just approach it the way how I know it. And, and the thing is like, even in Eugene, I was going through so much and not a lot of people knew like early on in the season, I think it was after the robot diamond league, I hurt myself. I didn't really know what was wrong, but my back just hurt so much. And I just thought it was just a normal back injury. And it turned out I had two fractures in my lower back. And I ran from, after that, I went to Canadian trials. I went to worlds and ran and like, not even like complain, never told anyone. The only people that really know is people was close to me. They knew what I was going through, but I was, you know, I was just trying to have fun with everything I'm doing because, again, like track and field is, is a sport where you say something, everyone thinks you're complaining or you don't want to compete or you're scared. And if you don't if you don't do as well, you know, as, as you expected, everyone said, oh, like it doesn't really matter what you did early on when you come to the championship, you, you failed because you didn't run fast here. And that's what matters to people. You know, pe they look at how you did the last time you step on the track. So if early on in the season you run nine seconds, 15 times, if the last time you go on the track and you run, say 10 seconds 10 nine that's what everyone's going to remember you for because that's where you stopped at 10 nine yeah and and it's crazy what you just touched on there too because when i was doing my research you know they say after eugene you i, I again correct me if i'm wrong you opted out of the commonwealth games of course because you yeah. have two fractures in your back and the quote that shared is you know it, it wasn't pointed it wasn't critical but it was just a very flat you know he's taking care of his training for the long run or something around that thing. but you don't yeah. get the the empathy of hey this guy has his, a fractured back in, in two spots yeah i think that also speaks to you touched on it earlier because i'm i'm a big fan of track and field myself as as an audience member i think my biggest beef with it is media and fans and kind of like what you're touching on athletes they don't like individuals they do not want yeah. people to be an individual to speak their mind it's sort of this 
it's almost like this shut up and dribble, shut up and run mentality. Um, yeah. And that is what hurts the sport is it's an individual sport. Yeah. You should fall in love with the personalities, but you are someone who puts themselves out creatively, whether it's, it's modeling or having any personality. When we spoke, you were talking about, you know, even your running style is, is individual. Can you speak a little bit to how important it is to you to, to maintain that individuality, to not let that personality be sort of put down in any sense? Yeah, because every, everything you do, like if somebody tell you that they've watched track and field or they've watched any sport and you tell me you haven't learned anything from anyone, you're lying because it really don't make no sense. If you, if, if, if just like you're in school, like if you're in school taking classes, you're going to learn from a teacher. So for us, as much as you have a coach, you're going to learn from people you who you grew up seeing doing the sport. So for me, like, you know, learning from some of the greats who have done this sport is, is what I cherish the most because you learn so much and you, you, you apply these things to your game. And uh, well, I call them like the, the my, my running form and, you know, the, my technique and the way I approach everything is, is, is the game. So I approach it the way, the best way, how I know how to, you know, just approach it with a very calm, positive mentality and just approach it the best way I know how to, which is just, you know, be, be me. Like, you know, if, if you're trying to be something else like that, you're not like at the end of the day, like my, my coach tells me, told me all the time you can't build a house on a faulty foundation so for me it's you know I, i'm building a solid foundation which i know who jerome is you mm. know so through and through so for me like i'm not going to change i'm not going to act like something i'm not just to create a false narrative so for me the best way i know how to attack something is attack it the way i know how i know how to as as you know as jerome yeah and and that's so neat to hear because we obviously we speak to a lot of athletes and I do find like a sense of self is so important when you have the heavy spotlight when you have heavy expectations. But I find with athletes because again you're you're under that searing spotlight, the finding that sense of self is either super delayed or it comes way earlier than the average person. It tends to be on that on either end of the spectrum. There, when yeah. do you feel like you had that? secure sense of self and and was there sort of a catalyst behind that either a person or a professional moment uh yeah for, for me like i still even to this day i still have people i have to talk to like hey like i don't know what i'm doing like i need i need some help you know um so for me like growing up like i never had the traditional upbringing as most sprinters who you you see out here like andre and aaron and you know and all these other guys like they they had the roadmap they mm went to World Youth, they went to World Juniors, they went to all these junior nationals and World Juniors and competed as a junior, you know, in World Championship events. For me, like my first international event was the Olympics. So if you really look at it, the first time I ran an international stage, like World World was the Olympics. But before that, I never really had no experience whatsoever. I mean, yeah, I went to NACAX and I went to, you know, um, Pan Ams, but those were small, events compared to like a world championship or, or, or an Olympics. Mm -hmm. So for me, like I had to grow up very fast. So I'm just, you know, asking questions along the way, you know, I'm very thankful that we have a cool system, a good system, you know, like our head coach, Glenn, or he was a part of the 96 Olympics. And, you know, he's been, he's a very, very professional guy. And like, he's, he's always been a big support of mine. Like he's, he's helped me out a lot. And Aaron Brown, Sam Effa, you know, these guys who I grew up running with and, you know, they, they kind of just, Help me out at, along the way just to, you know, learn and understand what what I'm gonna, going to approach, like, you know, being a professional. And now it's like, you know, being a professional, there's so much things that I've actually, you know, come to understand that, like, now it's it's all about, you know, 
whenever they say compete and whenever they say competition, you have to be ready to compete. There's no excuses here because this is your job. You have to be a showman. You got to be ready to compete. You know, you got to be ready to showcase whenever the time comes. So that's mm. some of the things I'm still learning to this day. So, yeah. That's so interesting because there's there's so many discussions now about sort of the danger of athletes specializing too early. But we're in that farm system a little bit where it's like, okay, yeah. great, you're playing AU ball at seven years old and this is your sport and get to this tournament, get to this, yeah, this next level, then the next one. And that is sort of that hard blueprint is being set for athletes younger and younger and younger. But you just said like, again, your detour that got you there may have been the fact that you weren't in this traditional path that was clearly mapped out for you. Do you almost attribute part of your success to, okay, I, I wasn't meant to take the conventional route like most people? Yeah. I mean, and, and, and there's the, my mom always said me, you can't question the way your path is laid out because if mm. you question it and try to figure out, figure out a different way, you might just get lost. So for me, it's just, I've always just looked at it as like everything that has, that has happened and everything that I've achieved, it's all a blessing in disguise because, you know, like who knows where, where I would have been if I wasn't, you know, if, if my path wasn't the way it, it was, you know, um, just coming up, moving to Canada, having, having not it, being able to compete in any, Canadian national championships can't make any teams until 2018 and you know and then after that everything is really just took off so I mean I think it's one of these things where it happened the way it's supposed to and I just don't question it ever I, I, I just think it, it's the way it was supposed to work yeah. out and and it's been working out ever since so yeah No, I, I always say like you can't play in hypotheticals. That way, only lies matters, yeah. right? Like you, yeah. this is the reality we're given, and and you just keep rolling with it. We are talking about the individuality of athletes, which I think is super important to emphasize. But also, I'm always super interested in, especially with more niche sports like track, and then within that short distance running, if there are any innate traits that seem to lend themselves to sprinters that maybe are unique from other sports like if something is some traits that you've seen generally across the board uh, that seem to to lend themselves to sprinting you know there's a, there's a lot that you see and you, you know um there's a lot of different sports that really intertwine with some form of running some form of lifting some form of strength and, and flexibility um that has a lot of impact into track and field because if you really look at it, the base baseline for everything sport, every fundamental sport there is is running. You can't think of one sport today that doesn't involve running. None of them. Everyone consists of some form of movement that is based in track and field. So for me, it's just like coming up. The one thing I've always tried to do is just learn as much as I can from every single thing. Like even the off season now, I took up gymnastics. I, I took up different things just to learn and you know, get stronger in different areas. And I start to realize everything really comes right back to the fundamentals of track and field. Mm. And you, you kind of touched on, you know, it is so interesting how training evolves through different sports. And of course it all comes back to the fundamentals of running. I'm wondering training, whether it's either a mental health wellness exercise or the physical attributes of training, how has the preparation for competition evolved since the start of your career? What practices have you maybe added in that 
might have seemed unconventional to you a few years ago? I would definitely say like, you know, dealing with sports psych and, and um, you know, just visualizing a lot more how I want to approach, you know, how I want to approach warm up, how do I want to approach a meet, how do I want to approach competition? You know, that is in my routine a lot more now and just getting proper rest because I, and um, eating better and, you know, just so much little things that's added in. I remember when I was a lot younger, I, I could go eat a cheeseburger and go run 10, 10 something like easy. Like I, yeah. could, I could do that at a meet cheeseburger and fries. <laughs> Soda pop. Easy. It's like they're aligned in my body. But now it's like one of these things where I'm at this level where, you know, every little inch and everything you do counts. So now it's just like, you know, you have to work on the little things because at this point it's just little things. Like to get to the, you know, the that that ultimate line, which is, you know, getting on, on the three spot that's on the podium and, you know, winning medals and consistently running fast times, you have to, you know, you have to make the, the little sacrifices that's needed. You know, whether it's eating healthy and, you know, making a sacrifice to go to bed early, waking up on time, just, you know, going to training and approach every day like it's a new day and just forget yesterday and just, just attack today the way you want to and, you know, continue to develop. And I just understand that, like, at the end of the day, like, it's it's not how you, you know, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. That's how I've learned. That's how I have to look at it because I could have, you know, I could have a really bad half of the season and then the second half it could pick up and, you know, pick up for the right time. You go into championship and run fast and get yourself a medal. So that's kind of how I'm starting to view it now. Just, you know, don't worry about how you start, but worry about how you're planning to finish. So, mm. yeah, it's it's a long journey, not just, you know, it's not one day or two days. It's over months of just comp competition and building. And everything you do is building up to something else. You have to approach it that way. Mm. And it is all about those little things, right? And some runners, they, they never embrace that, right? They stick with the, the college diet or they're taking the same like sugar-filled supplements. They're not doing the physiotherapy. Those little things add up. But you guys have so much to balance, not only Olympic athletes in general, but professional runners also. They're both so interesting to me and challenging professions to take on because athletes almost have to take on this heightened role of, entrepreneurship in order to yeah. maintain sponsorships and keep the dream alive. Yeah. Can you explain maybe how A, the Nike partnership came about, but also how you've learned to market yourself as well? That's, that's one of the things, you know, like I didn't realize how different it would be from being young to like, you know, just doing it for fun. And then the minute it became my day job, it becomes a lot harder because at this point, like you're not just competing for you anymore. You're competing for you know, a brand and you, 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 and everything you do affects that brand. So you have to, you know, make sure everything you're doing off, off the track is going to affect what you're doing on the track. So for me, I try not to do anything off the track that's going to affect what I do on it. Mm -hmm. So for me, like even with the, with the Nike thing, like that, that took a lot of proving myself and, you know, betting on myself as well, because, you know, at first it was more or less like just hearing things from, you know, hey, like this is what this is what I get when I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a Nike athlete or I'm this athlete, and this is what I got, and and I was like, oh, that's cool, that would be nice, but I've mm -hmm. never like really thought about how I would approach all of that. It just kind of just happened. Like, mm -hmm. um, first thing I approached was I, I got an agent, and um, that's one thing I didn't really know how to, you know, thankful thanks to Aaron for sure because he kind of taught me the ropes, and you know, like these are the things you got to look out for, these are the things you got to do, and you know, I took that all the information that he gave me and plug it in, you know, in, into my journey and see how, you know, what are the things I should look forward to and what are the things I know I can achieve. And, you know, and that's kind of how we approached it just to, you know, pick the best contract that works for me and, you know, work, 
in a way for you that you're not going to put too much pressure on yourself to a point where like it's going to force you to, to you know be in a situation where you, you can't physically compete if, it, if it's you i'm trying to say because most of the times what happens is like if you're an up-and-coming athlete like fresh out of college sometimes you get a bigger contract than a person who's been a pro for a little bit longer but you know still running so the thing is like whenever they do that because they're a lot younger so they're going to bet on them but a year later or two half of what you've got is gone while the guy who's been a pro as a seasoned veteran so he understands the game a lot more than a fresh person who's just fresh out of school so they don't really understand it so you end up making a lot more if you bet on yourself and just just back it up over time so mm. yeah and that's so interesting. And just to give some context to some listeners, I assume you mean Aaron Brown, your your uh, Canadian relay teammate, um, yeah. who sort of started you off there on the entrepreneurship side of it. But that is the fact that that it has to take part of your mindset, right? Because you can't yeah. be training at the highest level if you're not being supported financially. It's just a reality yeah. of the world that that we live in. But I'm wondering if, as someone who, who has this strong sense of self, and now you do have outside influences who have the best of intentions i'm a nike fan myself and of course you have other partners who you know you're now representing another brand was there ever a period even if it wasn't from feedback from them directly was there ever a period where it sort of impacted your sense of self at all to think oh i'm not when i run i'm not just representing jerome blake anymore i'm representing these sort of bigger entities yeah, I mean, I think I think how that started happening was, you know, after the Olympics and after World Champs, when I go home and people see me, they're like, hey, I know you. I think that's when it all starts happening for me because and even to this day, like like being here in the U.S., like where we train, training Claremont. So, you know, pretty much every, if everyone see you walking around, everyone's like, okay, that's an athlete. Like there's a lot of athletes out here, so we know that's an athlete. And when I go home, you know, no one's ever expecting to see me because I'm never there anymore. So whenever I go home, everyone is like, oh, can we get a picture kind of thing? So it's like, for me, that's kind of unusual. But the thing is, like, I try not to let it, try not to lose myself in that because I know that's not who I am. And for me, it's just more or less try to be as calm and be as relaxed as I can. Because I think one thing happened to me where I felt very embarrassed and just like awkward about it because I, I went out and, and I was trying to get in somewhere. And then I got in and these people didn't get in and and everyone starts saying, oh, is it because this person is that person? Mm -hmm. That's why they got in. So then for me, I was like, okay, I completely understand how this person felt because when I was younger and seeing people getting in places, I'm like, oh, what does that person do? Why can't I go in? I've been out here waiting for a long time too. So for me now, it's like, you know, try not to ever like put anyone else beneath me, but try to be as respectful as possible to everybody else. And I think that's what works best because the people I have around me keeps me grounded and, and they, you know, they make sure I'm never acting up and trying to act out of turn and, you know, do anything that I shouldn't do. Because once you got good people around you, that that's, that's, you get, if you have good people around you, that's going to tell you, Hey, that was messed up that, you know, and they will keep you grounded. And if you don't have good people, I mean, that's, that's when you see people start doing madness, like, you know, especially everything that's going on with most different athletes right now. So, yeah. Hundred percent. I mean, when you're when you talk about that and and talking about sort of losing that groundedness, that sense of self. Um, I mean, you you didn't say his name. I'll I'll say like John Morant comes to mind with the, uh, uh, just a little bit of a sense of breathlessness. But I'm curious because that is such a rarity, even a small thing of getting into an establishment yeah. early, and that's a that's something like 
a lot of people would say, yeah, but I've, I've earned that because I'm exceptional at what I do. But of course, and, and that might be true to some degree. I'm not in a position to critique anyone who, who does enjoy skipping the line and, and heading into a place, but that can often be a slippery slope of losing that sense yeah. of self. You mentioned it's so crucial to have those people around you who, who ground yeah. you, who are some of those people in your life who, who keep you grounded like that. Yeah, for sure. Like, you know, I, I have a various, a various age range of people. It really depends on what I'm doing. So for me, like when I go home to Kelowna, I have a group of people between 39 to at least 65 years old, you know, Ash and a few other people. So it's just like that. And like some people were like, actually like city council members. And these are the kind of people I hang out with, like, and just try to, you know, my friend Nate and stuff like that. But now, and while when I go to Vancouver, like I have Ben, Wilfred, Al, and these are the guys that I do stepping stone and rising stars with. So they're the people who keep me grounded because we all used to do the same thing, you know. So we all did track and field. Well, they all did track and field. Like, I'm doing it, but um, <laughs> they all did track and field. So it's it's good that they understand the sport so well. So if something is up, they can really tell, like, hey, like you look off, like what's going on, you know. It's it's not all new people that don't understand what I'm doing, and I try not to keep people around me that don't understand what I'm doing. So you know. It, it plays a big part in what you're doing. Having friends that understand the sport so well, they can, they'll be like, "Hey, like, we know that was off, so you know, pick your head up and go back and do it. Do what you know how to do it." So that's kind of the good thing about having good people running to understand what you do. And competitive mentality is so complicated because you do want something like your ego to stay consistent, but at yeah. the same time, you want other parts of your mentality to evolve alongside. So I'm, I'm curious. Yeah. Again, we talked about earlier, like embracing the stakes of a race yeah. but not getting too caught up in it i'm curious how that has evolved the way that you would view the importance of a single race versus how you view it today um when i was younger i didn't really understand the the competitive mindset of sports i was just doing it i was just running just to run just to have fun and just compete and you know do what i can to you know to run fast and do my best mm. but now in the mindset I have right now, I'm a very big competitor. So for me, like at the same time, you do need your ego and your confidence because one strokes the other and you need both. Of one can't live without the other. It's, it's just like good and bad. They both remain in the same time, in the same place. So you need one, you need both of them. Then they live in a time. So for me, it's like, but that doesn't leave the track. That's the thing with some people, their ego and their everything. They try to use that to build a personality, which, you know, that's not how it really works. So, I mean, it works for some people, but you know, not for me, like for me, it's, you know, once I get on the track, I'm ready to compete. I'm ready. You know, I'm, I'm, it's, it's a 12 round boxing match between us out there. And then once, once I finish and walk off the track, I'm, I'm done. That's it. Like, you know, refresh, focus on, on to the next at that point. So, yeah. And now as we, as we start to wind down, I do, you touched on that, that sort of idea of competitiveness and it stays on the track. It's also difficult sometimes when other athletes, their, their competitiveness or their confidence or their ego escapes outside of the track. And you hear that noise. And I think a little bit, you might not admit it, but I think a little bit of that noise seeped into uh, the Canadian relays team um, from the Americans who, you know, they, they were confident going into world champs. Um, right. Eugene, they had their home crowd and 
you know, I, I read an article in the Toronto Star after Eugene, uh, and it was titled, Could Jerome Blake Be the Next Great Canadian Sprinter? Spoiler alert, the answer is yes. But this, of course, came after, it actually came after the Bermuda Games. I saw you finish ahead of Noah Lyles and Arian right. Knight. And, but the U.S. has seen this resurgence with guys like Lyles, Noah, also Fred Curley, who's been an absolute beast. And yet you've gotten the best of them individually and within a team right. setting. Has there ever been a David versus Goliath mindset when it comes to U.S. Canada or U.S. on the track? And how does their mentality and approach kind of seem to differ from Canada's? Um, you know, it's it, it, it's like this, right? Like, again, we're all very big competitors and we all want to beat each other when, when we step on the track. But for us, when it comes to like when, when it comes to the relay with us, like we, we all kind of like grew up together. If you really look at it, cause we have like three or four times a year with, with each other. And, um, we're all sort of friends. Like we all, you know, we're camp, we're hanging out playing dominoes, yada, yada, doing our thing. But also the thing is like, if you really look at, look at it, Aaron, Andre and Brendan have been running relays together for about seven years. And then me and Brendan have been working together on and off like at training camps at different diamond leagues meet at meets at different meets for about three years. So the thing is like we have such a we have such great chemistry with each other. So we understand the way each other moves and like our body languages and our mannerisms and stuff like that. We we can look at the other person and feel like that person is having an off day, so we can't do what we normally used to do. So we have that the brotherhood between all of us. So it it, it creates a very good dynamic. To, to run fast when it comes to relays so for us it's always been that you know and we we just trust each other that's that's it like it's never it's nothing else it's just we just have trust and belief in each other that's all mm. and I, th I think everybody else if people four people in track who want to be who don't want to be and who don't like each other what, what do you think is going to happen yeah i'm not not saying not saying all those guys on the track didn't like each other but the thing is if you don't know the person you know you can't really tell what that person is going to do so for me, like even I went to World Championship in 2019. I was running just as fast as everybody else. I was ready to run. And they, the coach said, no, mm. you're not ready yet. It's not your time yet. Mm. And I had to wait two years later for at the Olympics for my time. And that was probably the most stressful environment I've ever been in. But yeah. after that, like nothing else. No, I, I can't really say much else is stressful to me anymore after that. So wow. that, it, yeah, it's just. Yeah, just having fun. I mean, and it's funny for those who didn't watch the race, what you just said, it played out exactly as you think it would. If you're going, okay, a team, one team has known each other for a long time and has cohesiveness and the other team yeah. are four very talented individuals. That yeah. was so clear by, you know, the transitions for the U.S. and the relay. You guys were yeah. so smooth, obviously ran great individual times as well. But yeah, it, it was very emblematic the way it played out. I'm curious. Um, now we're looking towards 2024. You mentioned you had to wait till till that first Olympics, and and now we're looking towards Paris. As someone who, again, like you even touched on that that disappointment, you just have to go with the flow of what life gives you, and everything right. works out when it's supposed to happen. And what's interesting is, I see you being dominant at a couple of different distances and that's always a tough thing with running you're talking to distance runner ben flanagan who i'm also a big fan of he's got to make the choice yeah. whether he wants to be a 10k guy or a marathon guy yeah what distance is intriguing you as we sort of look towards 2024 i, I definitely say like you know for me is it's like 
it's always been a thing of like, you know, getting my feet wet better in the hundred meters and, you know, run, you know, very fast times, which, you know, I know it's possible just, just the way, you know, things have been for me over the past couple of years. I just, you know, being with the group I'm with now, my coach and everything, and just, just the way I've been training, I just know that it's possible. I can run fast in hundred meters and at 200. So mm. For me, it's just, just to be, you know, I can't pick one over the other. It's just yeah. see which one works at the time and just go with that kind mm. of thing. You know, it's like once you start picking one over the other, you're not your heart's not going to be in in it with the other one. So mm. for me, it's just you know, just let the chips lay where they lay whenever the time comes, and just you know, go with it and see what happens, kind of thing. Yeah, and that and that really is the crux of your mentality. It's so neat to contrast that with a sport that is also so defined by hard times and strict training, and and to ha- be able to marry that because again, we've spoken to a lot of runners, and it it is not the traditional runner mindset to go with the flow and to let the chips fall where they're supposed to. But I guess, again, this podcast, a lot of people listening to it are not Olympic sprinters. They're not world champs. They're not pro athletes. And I think so much can be taken out of what you've, uh, your, your approach to competition and to a sense of self and to ego in general. I'm curious to end our conversation, Jerome, if you could give a piece of advice to someone trying to find excellence in their field or trying to find excellence in something that they're passionate about, whether it's modeling, whether it's athletics on the track or off, what would it be? Um, Honestly, I'll just say, keep it simple. Just, just keep it simple and just just do the things that you know how to on a daily basis. Cause at the end of the day, it all stacks up and it's, that's, that's what it is. Just like, keep punching, keep doing your thing, like one day at a time and add like days out of the weeks and weeks out of the months and months mm-hmm. out of the years. So it's one of these things like you, as you gain experience, it, it you, you develop and you grow and you get better. So yeah, that's, that's kind of it. And just bet on yourself and trust what, trust the work that you're doing and trust the fact that it will pay off. That's, that's it. Because at the end the of the jokes. day, like, yeah, yeah. You're not a time traveler. So you don't know what the future holds. So for you, it's just like focus on what you're doing now and then make the best of now. So later, well, when later becomes your now, you'll be like, okay, this is what happened back then. And this is what's happening now. So, you know, you put in the hard, all the hard work and everything is paying off the way it's supposed to. Mm. Yeah. I like that. It's a balance, right? You got to build off the past, but live in the present and, and visualize the future. But the core of that is stay, stay present and keep stacking the chips. I love that. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Amazing. Thank you so much, Jerome. It's always such a pleasure. Your insights were incredible. And uh, I know a lot of people are really going to enjoy, enjoy this episode and being able to learn from you. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for tuning into today's episode of Detours featuring Jerome Blake. Be sure to stay tuned for more insight from Canada's greatest sports figures. We have some really fascinating episodes in the queue. So we invite you to subscribe and give us a five-star rating if you enjoyed the interview. In the meantime, we also invite you to take any nugget of knowledge that might help you find your own detour. Who knows? You might be our next guest.